following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. There's been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Couple more weeks of football. Can't believe the end's here already. Finally. <laughs> you were ready to be done a couple weeks in. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Intentional Foul Podcast. Back for another episode. Josh and Dan, thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing. Uh, tell your friends. And we are post-AFC-NFC Championship. We'll run down Packers and Niners on this episode. We'll talk Titans and Chiefs. Um, little Wisconsin football mixed in by way of the Aaron Hernandez uh, documentary, which I watched the first episode and a half before I fell asleep. My wife watched all of it. This is the type of stuff that she is glued to. I haven't seen it yet, but it's it's in my Netflix queue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, college Hoops, Wisconsin and Marquette, the NBA. Bucks are playing as we speak, as we record this, hopefully uh, en route to a victory. And then a couple of NBA notes uh, as well, followed by uh, Major League Baseball to wrap things up. All that and more coming up on this edition, but we will start as we normally do when the Packers play with the Packers and a third straight NFC championship loss. I'm just glad that you're here, man. Why? Did you think I was going to be suicidal or catatonic? <laughs> well, hey, when I texted you yesterday, you told me you were Those games, a little anxious well, uh, all yes. day long. You well, know? for Packer fans, and like I was listening to um, Steve Zabin's podcast this morning, and 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 he was he brought up a good point. It's like if you're a football fan of a of a particular team, you cherish these games because they don't come along very often. This is a shot to get to something that some fans see maybe once or twice, sometimes never in their life, mm-hmm. and you don't know the next time you're going to be back. So. Yeah, a little anxiety was there. Did I think we talked about it in the car ride coming home from a game on um, Saturday, Saturday night? Yeah. And you asked me what I thought. I thought, what did I say? Fourteen, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Didn't wasn't far off. Closer than it should have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The final score not wasn't indicative. really indicative of no. how the game played out. You're um, right. But yeah, though, the, in those late those late starts, and it, it was in in the divisional round as well. When it's do or die time, and you got to wait all day. That's a little rough. Mm-hmm. It's a little rough for a fan base. Well, and I, I will say, I mean, I think the championship weekend is is m- way more fun than the Super Bowl. I think, oh God, you yes. know, winning your conference is all. I mean, obviously, you want your team to win the Super Bowl, but you know, being able to win, have your team win that game to get to the Super Bowl is almost more fun in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just because then you have the anticipation of the Super Bowl, but. Yeah, man, it was... Uh, and right now, the way it looks, it's probably going to be a better game. Yeah. I would think. Oh, yeah, I think so. So I think so. Yeah, it's um, it was a mismatch, and Michael and I were texting leading up to the game, and he just kind of was did the whole... Do you ever get the feeling that we're kind of waiting for this moment where everything just, the bottom drops out, and you, and you just kind of say, well, we were waiting for it to happen, and it finally happened. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where this all was heading in my estimation. And I don't think I'm alone. Yeah, I, I picked the Packers to make the Super Bowl before the playoffs. Just, you know, I kind of would have, I thought it would have been fun to see a Rodgers-Mahomes Super Bowl. But, look, I I had kind of been on this horse the whole year and, and you weren't far behind. I, I thought this was more of a 10-6 and six team than a 13-3 and three team. For sure. I think that yesterday, to to quote Dennis Green, the Packers are who we thought they were, at least who I thought they were. Um, uh, a team that was overly reliant on a couple of guys offensively and were a little overrated defensively because uh, the the sack numbers that the Packers have, you know, it's it's one of those stats in sports that gets way too much credit for what the impact of a game really is. And the Packers had a lot of sacks in some of these games um, that I think inflated the perception of how good their defense was with some people. They couldn't stop the run all year. 
I mean, pretty much any time they went up against a team with a good, solid running back and a healthy line, they got gashed pretty good. So, um, I, you know, yesterday was, I mean, completely over the top. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anybody would have been surprised if um, the 49ers ran for a buck 50 and had two or three rushing touchdowns. No. Now, running for 280 or whatever and having like five rushing, four rushing touchdowns. That's a little bit of a head scratcher. I read something today, and obviously you put this squarely on Mike Pettin because, uh, and you and you and I texted, Howie Long hit it on the head in the post game for what I watched of it, all of five minutes or whatever. They went around for everybody's thoughts, and Howie basically said they ran well during the regular season. They ran over you the last time they played. Wouldn't you think that's probably coming this time around since you showed no signs of stopping it? Why would they do anything different? And to me, that's on Petten, and I, I saw something from an account today, and I don't remember who because I follow a lot of these pro football focus analytics guys, and one of them had said that this Mike Petten defense was built to defend the pass, period, end of story. You know, Blake Martinez can be in position to make a lot of tackles, but he's not going to stop the run himself. These guys are meant to get upfield, collapse the pocket, get to the quarterback, and these D-backs, so long as they stick with them, are meant to break up passes and get interceptions. They're not meant to just come forward and stop the run. Well, maybe now, as unconventional as that is in the NFL right now, running the football, it's a passing league. It stands to reason that Petten would create that, but the 49ers found a good formula. They found a good quarterback who passes it when they need to. They have the best tight end in football. Their receivers are okay. But I just thought it was hilarious. A couple of stats, eight passes. Yeah, not that's insane. Th- not throwing for an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. And not attempting, a, not calling a single pass play in the entire third quarter. I mean, that's unconscionable. Well, I texted you. I'm like, this is like a high school game. It is. It was like, like it was like they were running the wing tee. Or, or, or the triple option. Yeah. We are not going to throw. No. Nope. Th- this guy can run or that guy can run. We're going to run. I, I So... You, you, you kind of got to put that on Petten, and I, I, Zadarius Smith said after the game, we didn't make those corrections uh, on the sideline. You should have made those corrections after they beat your ass in late November. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you waiting until right now for? Just because nobody that you faced since then ran the ball down your throat? That doesn't mean you don't prepare for these guys again. Don't you watch the film and be like, oh, I remember this. Maybe we should do something about this. Well, and, and I'm not a big guy that's... I, I don't really like the calling for a coach to be fired and, and all that kind of stuff, and and I'm not going to do that today. But glaringly, LaFleur and Petten were out coached by Shanahan and Sala, and considering how close all of these people are together, I mean, you know, of, of either working, you know, there was one, I think one of them worked for Petten in Cleveland, you know, LaFleur worked for and with Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Sala and LaFleur are, like, best men in each other's wedding. Like, it was a very, like, almost incestuous type game. <laughs> but yet, one side was so far ahead of the other side that it's 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 head-scratching. And frankly, I think as a Packer fan, it's a little concerning because it's like, how did you get out-coached that much? And especially, like you said, you had a. It wasn't like they hadn't played this year. You had sixty minutes of game tape against you when you were playing pretty well at the time, and even in that one, again, coming off of a bye, they got crushed. So I don't know. I, I don't really know what to make of the of the coaching situation because it was just so glaringly poor. I thought going into the year, and I think I might have said this even after the first couple of weeks when it didn't look that smooth or that exciting. LaFleur gets a pass this entire year for me because he's the new guy on the block. Even if he's coaching against his buddies and guys who he's all friends with, this is a big game, and it showed that he's probably not ready for the big game just yet, which is fine. I mean, they overachieved so much in this season, it's hard for me to be angry really about anything that happened except for like like the defense, like we talked about. You've got a blueprint of what they what they did and you basically just left it in a tube, you know, in the in the film room mm-hmm. and didn't even bother with it right. until maybe halftime you went, "Oh yeah, let's let's look at that. Maybe the maybe that would be good for some adjustments." You think? So, 
I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. If if they got out coached, fine. Um, Petten should have. He's the veteran of the bunch. Um, Lafleur, probably biggest game that. I mean, for a long time, he's probably ever going to coach. So, well, I mean, what does this mean for them going forward? I mean, you talk about building the defense to be very, very much to defend the pass. Mm -hmm. Um, Now going forward, I mean, do you have to look at trying to be a little bit more balanced on on both sides of the ball, I think, right? God, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, offensively, well, we'll start with the defense. Um, You need somebody like they had for a number of years that can eat up a double team a big old defensive tackle that just sits there and clogs a lane. And then if you have some guys on the outside that can get up the field and force guys up into the pocket, great, because they seem to already have those. But you don't have anybody right now that can stop the run. The inside linebackers, I mean, Oren Burks has shown next to nothing. B.J. Goodson's not your guy. And Blake Martinez is a free agent. And, yeah, he led them with – with tackles for like the last three years or something like that. And he put up monster numbers. But again, I follow all these, these pro football focus guys who all say that despite monster numbers, he had a terrible year. And I don't exactly know how tackling equates to having a bad year, but they know more about the X's and O's and being in position and whatever. So they said, yeah, he's everywhere to make tackles, but that doesn't mean he's playing well. So I would be curious on more of a breakdown on that before I see that, but apparently he's going to command a lot on, on the open market, and I'm not so sure. And he kind of said that when he broke down in the locker room when somebody was interviewing him last night after the game. He doesn't think he's going to be back. So you got some things to do on the front seven end of the defense. The back end, I think right now you're fine. Um, but definitely to stop the run, you need to do something with your front seven. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, and we, we talked about it in the in the summer when the Packers signed Adrian Amos. Um, solid player. But, man, I tell you what, I watched almost every Packer game. The second half of the season, you didn't hear his name called. No. Like, he didn't really, and that's kind of what happened in Chicago. He didn't hurt you, but he didn't really do much when he was out there. He mm-hmm. you know, he'd jump in on a on a tackle or something, but um not creating turnovers. Um just you know, like I said, just kinda out there. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean I, I don't think you leave I mean, you can't touch those safety positions. You just sign them to a multi year deal. You got Savage who by all accounts is gonna be a a pretty good player if he keeps going down the path that he is after year one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about the depth at corner. I'm ready to be done with Kevin King. Um, he he was relatively healthy this year, but I think he was so inconsistent in giving up plays and not tackling, and then all of a sudden he'd come up with either a pick or a pass breakup that was huge. But I think it's been too long and he hasn't progressed as well as you'd see. I don't know how much, how how long you can bring back Tremont Williams. He's yeah. the oldest DB in the league. Right. How long can he keep leaning on that guy? So there's two right there that I think you need to address. And other than Jiry Alexander and and there's another guy I'm in there that I'm forgetting about. But regardless, I think I, I think the defensive backfield is generally okay. I'd just be more worried about the front seven. Let's talk about your quarterback. I know he's he's your favorite topic. What uh, what the hell was that yesterday? Father time, man! Like I've, it just showed up yesterday. Well, no, I think it's been showing up all season. At least that's what you've been telling me that his he's not where he used to be and he's not where he was. And now you put him against the best front four. I said this last night during the game. I would love to have a front four, and that's all you need. Oh yeah, drop seven guys back and four guys beat five. That's what you want. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, I didn't see anything downfield. There was, again, more more screens that, God, they, they threw some out there that the guys just got absolutely blown up because that defense is so fast. Um, I, I'm The last pick that was thrown into a double team to try and get yeah, some going. Yeah, that doesn't matter. No. That, that, that matters as much as his 330 yards. Right. No, it's, not, not at all. No. Uh-uh. You know. Um, he... He didn't make that many big plays. I mean, he he had a couple of nice throws as usual. Can't lose a a fumble on a center quarterback exchange. Can't do that. You can't not see the guy jump the route on you when you throw the ball behind a receiver. I mean, that's not good. Skills are just diminishing. And, 
you know, he said it for the last couple of weeks of the season when people asked him, when he asked, do you need to do, he was asked, do you need to do what you used to do and put up these gaudy monster numbers? He said, I don't need to do that anymore. I can lean on guys like Aaron. I can lean on guys like Devontae. And that's great, but when that other part of the game isn't working, you kind of got to put on the Superman cape and go do your thing. And I just don't think he can do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, the mark of the of a great player um, at the quarterback position in basketball, those two sports more than anything, like the mark of a great player is do you elevate the people around you? And that's one of the problems that I've had about Rodgers the last couple of years is it seems like, and I saw it, and I saw it today from some people. I saw it from some media people over in the Milwaukee Green Bay area. Of you can't put this on Rodgers. Rodgers was fine. Well, it can't be. He's the greatest thing walking when they win, and then when they lose, you you know we can't blame him. It's because Alan Lazard and and isn't good enough. And I saw people saying. Allison ran the wrong route on that. It's like it can't always be the receiver's fault. Sometimes the quarterback just makes a bad throw or a bad read. I mean, he made a bad read on the first possession of the game. It's third and three. He's got Jimmy Graham on a sit-down route four yards downfield across for a first down, and he throws it short of the first down marker to his back. That's a missed read. That's not anything other than just a poor decision. Well, and, and I think I texted you that today or maybe last night, that a lot of these guys on Twitter that do film breakdown, they show you the primary and then secondary and the third routes, and there are guys that are open, yes. and instead he's going elsewhere. Yes, he's missing. Why, yes. I have no idea. And even the guys, you know, that, that break down film study and look at this stuff, they're like, why, why you would make that throw instead of these other options? is inexplicable. So I guess I'd I'd wonder what what the progressions are what going what's going through his mind like are you locked in on one guy coming out of the huddle and you're just ignoring these other guys or how is this working because he shouldn't be missing these guys because he used to not. Right. You know and it, uh, they talked about it a uh, somewhat in the first half Aikman mentioned it a few times like the I don't maybe unwillingness isn't the right word, but they just didn't take any shots down the field, especially early on, which is exactly when I thought they would because this team has proven all year long they are a completely different animal when they are in front as opposed to when they're trailing. Changes everything about the Packers. Um, in that respect, they were kind of similar to the, to Tennessee. You get the lead, you can run the football, and you can rely on your defense a little bit because you know they're going to pass against you. But when you're trailing, obviously that's different. But, you know, I texted you during the game. Um, it just kind of looked like Rodgers almost knew they didn't really have a chance, especially early. Like, when they didn't get that first down, they get the three and out on the Niners, and it's like, okay, well, you got good field position here. You got a chance to take the lead, right. and then they don't get a first. And then I think on their next possession, I think he uh, fumbled, and then they had to punt again or whatever. It was like, that's one of those ones where you expect the bomb to Adams early. Maybe you get a, a completion. Maybe you get lucky and get a pass interference but you know to get the early lead. But it almost seemed with his body language like he knew they didn't really have a lot of a chance. Maybe he didn't want to stand back there for four seconds and wait for Adams to get down the field because he knew he didn't have four seconds. I think Aaron Rodgers is to the point in his career now when, like a lot of these older quarterbacks, they don't want to get hit anymore. You know, so if I got an opportunity to throw it to the dude seven yards down or the dude 27 yards down that I have to wait for, I'm just trying to get rid of it because Nick Boses and Buckner are coming. I think also something that maybe he doesn't realize yet is that he is not as adept at escaping the pocket as he used to be, no. and make plays and run away from people and escape clutches. I think the the lateral movement and just getting out of harm's way, once he's in the clear and throwing on the run, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But he has a tougher time executing that than he used to do, especially when you got an athletic group like that front four. I mean, try to get out of there. It's damn near impossible. Well, and he seemed to... His awareness seemed to be a little less this year. A lot more yes. strip fumbles from mm -hmm. behind um, that you really never saw from him in years past. But I don't know. The narrative around him is very strange. Um, 
I happened to catch a little bit of Dan Patrick today, and he and he's, you know, he, and I compare Rodgers a lot to LeBron because the people that are in their corner like to call them the most talented ever. You'll hear that a lot about Rodgers. He's the most talented thrower of the football ever. And it's like, well, you say that because you know that he can't match the accolades of a Manning with MVPs or a Brady with rings. So it's like we had to come up with this other category. And it's the same thing with LeBron. He'll never catch Michael with rings, but we can say, well, he can do this better, this better, this better. But DP made a great analysis. He's like, when the hell have you ever worried about who has the best golf swing? Never. Never. Like, there's guys with better golf swings than Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, but, like, those guys win tournaments. Steve Stricker's golf swing is pitcher perfect, but he doesn't stack up to those other guys, and it doesn't really matter that his swing is perfect because the results aren't there. And it just kind of led me to thinking, like, you know, he's 36 right now. He's going to be 37, like, the first week of December. Um, it kind of compare. I kind of compare this Packer team to the 07 team, and I'll tell you why. The two years before this, they didn't make the playoffs. Packers didn't. In 05 and 06, they did not make the playoffs. 06, McCarthy came in. So in year two, they got good. This year, they got good right away. Uh, make it to the conference championship game and lose. Um, obviously, then they moved on from Favre because he was 38. Rodgers is 36 and a half. Um, when is the time you're going to start thinking about this? I mean, you've got the draft coming up, and this is where a little bit of that fool's gold comes in. It's like, are you really that close if you're the Packers? Or are you more along the lines of, like, maybe we're kind of, we're, we're a playoff caliber team, but maybe we're on the back end of the playoff, where if we got hot, we could make a run, but I don't know that we're, a guy or two away from being this juggernaut that's gonna that's gonna be able to because the NFC I think next year is gonna be even better than this year. Philadelphia can't be this injured. Mike McCarthy is going to get more wins for the Cowboys than Jason Garrett did. So there's two teams already. Um, I think the Bears will be better. I'm not saying they're gonna win the NFC, but I think they're gonna be a more competitive team. I think. Um, you know, teams like Atlanta, Carolina is going to get better. So it's going to be more difficult for the Packers next year. When do you think about drafting a quarterback? Or do you not do that because Rodgers is, we know, kind of a sensitive guy? Well, I mean, he's not going to want it. He's going to be, I would just envision, he's probably going to be a lot like Favre was to him. Yeah. Because he's not going to want to give up his spot, and I understand that. He at least had the wherewithal and the recognition of where he's at in his career because he mentioned in an interview, maybe it wasn't this week, it, it might have been last week, even the week before, because I heard him say, you know, I'm getting to the age of career when I came in when Brett was this old. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, in, we're, we're now in the same position, and that fact is not lost on me. So I don't think if that would happen, he would be totally shell-shocked by it. Sure. Um, that doesn't mean he'd be accepting, but like, yeah, he. I, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he gets along great with what is it, Boyle. Tim Boyle? Yeah. Well, he's Tim Boyle's not a threat. No, none. You know, he got. He gets along great. It's like far, far boy was Doug Peterson because there was no threat there. Right. But if you draft a guy in the second round, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, this guy's here to take. No. It's the it's the Garoppolo Brady thing. I saw you know? a lot of Packers guys on Twitter yesterday. I mean, you know, immediately as soon as they lose. Packers own number 30, here's the free agent list, here's what they need, here's what they need to get rid of, and then usually at the end of a couple I saw, and do you think about maybe investing in a quarterback? Is it this year? Is it next year? I mean, those questions came came up last night. And they have to be answered soon. Because, I don't you have know, the answer. Gudikin's job is not only to build a team for right now, but to build it for the future. And, you know, these guys are looking a couple years down the line. Uh, but, you know, year 28 of the Favre-Rogers era, 3-5 and five in conference title games, 1-2, and two, or 2-1 two and one in Super Bowls, uh, Rogers 1-3 in conference championship games. Um, I, I know you and I disagree on it. To me, that's just underachieving. It, it just is. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many division titles you win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
it's going to be hard for the Packers. I, I think I read today only one team in the last 15 years back to back. Has, has lost a conference championship game and then made it back the mm-hmm. next year, and it yeah. was like the 2011 or 12 Niner team. Okay. So that, that it's rare. Right. It's yeah. rare. Yep. You know, um, you got to have a lot of things break your way. you got to be healthy. Well, that's but, and that's the thing. You, know, you got two things working against you right now just from that standpoint, and, and, and you brought up schedule and the fact that teams are going to get better. Your schedule is going to get more difficult next year. Mm-hmm. There's no way you said that the Eagles can't be this hurt. There's no way the Packers can be this healthy. Right. So you got two things working against you right from the get-go. Um, from what Roger said last night after the game, and I, I kind of agree with him kind of in, in reference to your point about where your window is at, he says the window is open. And to me, yeah, maybe you can draft a quarterback, but you also got this guy for a couple of more years. You just made investments on the defensive side mm-hmm. and the offensive line. So to me, you kind of got to put your resources as best you can without mortgaging you know, the next decade of your salary cap to get what you can around him to at least see what you can do with the next couple of years. And you don't want to leave the cupboard bare when this new quarterback finally takes over. That's not fair. But at the same time, I think you at least owe it to the franchise and owe it to the guy, um, which is odd because I don't think I said the same thing when when Favre was quarterback, but I don't think Rodgers was also at the end of his contract and is wishy-washy about whether he's coming back or not. For sure, yeah. But if you have the ability to get a couple of guys, I'm not saying you go sign, you know, the most elite guy at any one particular position, but, you know, you get an above-average guy to, to plug a couple of holes, and you see what you got, and you roll the dice. And if it doesn't work, and a lot of guys have to walk, you know, from contracts, and you got to start over with a couple of losing seasons where you only got four or five wins, you're no different than anybody else in the league. And you're just wrapping up two of the... Except you have been for the last 30 years. For sure. And your fan base is going to lose their shit when you go 4-12 three years I'm not worried about the fan base. (laughs) I mean, you like to group everybody as a collective throbbing brain that thinks about the Packers. And I don't worry about that because those are the people that have usually no idea what... Then they're just talking out of their ass with a bunch of emotion. I'm looking at this from a objective, as much as possible, point of view in that you're going to have to take some lumps. There's no way you can follow that many decades of good quarterback play. Chances are so against you in finding another guy that can keep this going. Mm-hmm. It's unrealistic. Yeah, totally. So if, if if you got to live through it and people have to go back, whoa, we're back to the Infante years, it's like, do you have a short-term memory? I mean, honestly, you you don't you don't remember all of these years that have been awesome. I mean, let's get a grip. Yeah, but I just don't think the general fan cares about that. I mean, we talked about that no. with the Badger football and basketball right. program, and they say, "Oh God, the Don Morton era." Well, I don't care. I'm, if I'm 20 years old, I don't give a shit about the 80s. Right. That, that doesn't mean anything to me. Oh no, it doesn't. Like to my me either. my cousin who's 20. What the hell? He's never right. seen bad Packer football. Right. There's been a year or two where they mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs, but well. he's ne- they've never been the the 1980s Packers. That's where I distance myself from that that person who's screaming about why can't they be better? Mm-hmm. And you can go off and you well, know. Well, there's always going to be that in every fan base. There're going to be people in New England screaming in three years right. when they suck, which is unconscionable. Yeah, but that's just the way well, it is. I mean, Yankee fans get mad. That's why I'm not I'm I'm not even worried about it. I don't care. That's if that's the way it's going to be, then yes, you will go back to be with the rest of the league in having to kind of reform, recycle, reload, whatever you want to call it. And that's that's the way it's going to well, be. Well, whatever. I had a good Sunday. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you could talk about the Titans and Chiefs. I didn't watch, you know, I mean, down for down, I watched a lot. You and I were texting about that. But once, and you even put it in the notes, once Kansas City got the lead, it was basically over. Pretty much. Uh, Titans were up early 10 nothing. We're up 17-7. to And then uh, Mahomes had uh, an absolutely crazy-ass scramble down the sideline that it looked like he was going to get tackled three times. Or he was going out of bounds or, or, right yeah. away. And somehow he scored a touchdown, and it was like that kind of broke the dam and and uh, the floodgates opened for, uh, for the Chiefs. And... You know, once they were able to get up, I think they got up twenty-seven to seventeen at one point. That was pretty much all she wrote. Um, the Texans just, you know, not a quick strike team. I mean, Tannehill, Tannehill did an admirable job this year, and and you know, hat tip to to Vrabel for. I was texting with somebody yesterday. Like, I don't think Vrabel got enough credit for 
the decision that he made to bench Mariota and bring Tannehill in. That is a kid that they drafted to be the franchise quarterback. They invested a lot of money and time in. And to just say in week six or whatever it was, you're done. We're going with a – we're going to go – we would rather play a guy who has already spent six years in the league. A journeyman. And has never even made the playoffs before in Miami. And we're going to put him in. That takes some guts. Mm-hmm. And it takes backing from ownership. But that takes guts as a coach to do. So um, good for them. But at the end of the day – the Chiefs have the best player in football right now, and it's, For Pat, sure. it's Pat Mahomes. Yep. I mean, Lamar's going to win the MVP, but, um, you know, Mahomes is kind of, he's going to be entering that Favre, Rodgers, Peyton Manning, where it's like every single year now you're going to have to look for a reason to not give him the MVP because he is the best guy in football. Um, he's going to throw 50 touchdowns if he's healthy every season. They just keep drafting and finding these fast-ass dudes. Um, you know, they're very reminiscent of the uh, greatest show on turf Rams mm-hmm. to me. If they had a little bit, they need to get a little more dynamic at running back, For I sure. think. That's their that's their weak point. But you got either the best or 1B tight end in football in Kelsey, mm-hmm. and then you've got some serious burners on the edges. <laughs> I mean, the Niners got a hell of a defense, but... That's going to be an interesting contrasting styles that's in the Super Bowl. W- that's what, and I think that's why I'm probably looking forward to that a little bit more, just because you have a great defense against against a great offense. And Kansas City's defense, you know, it's good, but the Niners' offense, it's good. I mean, you know, you you flip out of that. I think most people are are more anxious more anxious to see Mahomes against the the Niner D. Yeah, yeah. R- rather than the other way around. Sure. Um, but that's why I think it'll be. At, I'm hoping it'll be a good game. Um, it opened as a pick'em last night in Vegas, and by the morning it was minus one. Caesars opened at one and a half, so I, I think that should give you an indication that nobody really right. knows exactly. I mean, I felt a little bit bad for Jimmy Garoppolo today, as as bad as I can feel for a guy who dates hot chicks and just made the Super Bowl, but like, <laughs> I mean, because he only threw eight passes, he was just basically getting shit on today by the national media. It's not his fault. I mean, he would have probably thrown more if they would have let him, but... If you win a Super Bowl I ring, mean, you put that ring on your middle finger and yeah. you say, check out my ring, guys. Right. What what do you want me to do? But did you did you do any investigating on this that Mostert dude? No. Like, do you know any of his background? He went to Purdue. Okay. Played four years at Purdue. Don't even he remember. He never him. even started at running back That's in any of, of the four years. Really. And then he's been cut from six teams. Yes, I like I, I did know that. That's cr- what a crazy Bears had him. Yeah, I mean, what a crazy career. Like I think. I looked on uh, College Football Reference. His first three years at Purdue, he's listed as a wide receiver. Really? Yeah, he had like 10 carries and a couple catches each of his first three years, and then his senior year he backed up some guy I've never heard of mm-hmm. and, and had like 500 yards rushing. But then how do you make it into the league? At I don't that know, point? man. Isn't that crazy? Like a tryout and somebody, did he put up good numbers somewhere and say, I'll I'll give you a practice squad or a special team spot and work your way up and oh by the way now we need a running back where did he come from yeah I mean that that's that's your Cinderella story in totally. the league I mean I if you're somebody I mean that's a pretty I know you probably hate it because he's beat the Packers ass but I mean that's me. a pretty cool story really oh for sure know? and I think one one of the things that was not talked about as well because you hear about great offensive lines in in the NFL I mean you know. I don't think there was ever a more heralded line than the Cowboys in what the the nineties, yeah, yeah, the mid nineties there. Yeah, I mean, because you, I mean, at the time, I couldn't name more than maybe one offensive lineman on any other team. You knew them all. I knew all five of those: Larry dudes. Allen, yep. Eric Williams, Stepnoski. Yep. You know, all all those guys. Yeah. Nate Newton. Yeah. I mean, you knew oh, everybody. Nate Newton, love him some <laughs> weed, boy. <laughs> Load up the band. Load it up. Let's go. Um, but I mean, that Niner line was opening. Monster rushing legs. There were like some 30-yard runs where he wasn't even getting touched. No, not at all. So I think not enough credit that I had heard of. I mean, because everybody now loves the Mostert story. They're not talking about the offensive line very much, which right. to offensive linemen, that's fine yeah. because you, you, you talk about the running back and how good he was, which means that I'm getting well, what, you know, what the Madden, secondary. What Madden used to call them, the big uglies? Yeah. 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 But, they're, but they're good, man. So... 
Super Bowl is uh, two weeks from yesterday, and I know you're going to be watching the Pro Bowl in a week. No. No. I might even, the Bucks play uh, an afternoon game Super Bowl Sunday that I'm thinking I might go to. So Really? I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, you wanted to bring this up because, and, and I saw this right before I watched it, news had come out about um, former Badger linebacker and 49er Chris Borland um, being in this Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix that my wife was all about. And I watched the first episode, and I, I mean, it, I didn't really care. I found out some stuff I didn't know about Hernandez, but then all of a sudden they stuck Borland in there, and I, I didn't really understand. I, from a film perspective, I didn't really under. It seems like they just dropped it in to try and prove a point, but I'm not sure what point that was. Mm-hmm. It just seemed that kind football's of football's dangerous. Me, I mean, like, is that a newsflash? It just kind of was inserted because you got this guy who played at a high level and then ducked out before his body, you know, killed itself. Yeah. So I thought that was very odd, but he said some pretty pointed things. Yeah, let me read you a sure. quote that he said. Um, he, he says, at Wisconsin, I was taken aback by how serious practice was taken. That, that to me, was like, what? At a, it's Division, a Division I, I Big Ten school, you did, like, and you're surprised that like, they take practice seriously. You're not playing Podunk, Ohio. I mean, like, I, that, so that was interesting. But then he goes on to say, I was playing on every special team. I was running scout team. I was running with our twos on defense objectively just like too much of a load for anybody and i saw you know a line of our upperclassmen with their pants to their knees just waiting to get their toradol injection and i didn't know this at 18 i thought oh my god these 15 upperclassmen starters are taking steroids before the game totally naive i later found out it was toradol a painkiller that our team docs would administer so guys could play with whatever they had going on um, to see that at 18 was really enlightening to just how serious it was taken. Uh, it's a big industry, and they're willing to put kids, young men, in situations that will compromise their long-term health just to beat Northwestern. I thought those were very interesting comments, and I'm wondering war- what his motivation is at really taking a shot at the Badger football program. I, I-, I found that odd because... I remember Chris Borland as a guy that was constantly hurt all the time his first couple of years, couldn't stay on the field, was very highly touted but was always hurt, um, turned himself into an all-Big Ten linebacker and got himself drafted, but I, I, where's the animosity coming from? I, I'm a little confused by that. The Badger response was, you know, your typical college, right. we don't talk about medical issues of our players. We thing do they administer hide things, yes. and it's a common practice. But we as, let them know what right. the side effects are, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's one of those things to me where um, if you're on a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team at a major college, he almost made it seem to me like it was forced on them to take this painkiller. I would call shenanigans on that. I mean, I played at D3, which is obviously a lot different, but, like, even there, if there was something that a guy could do to get ready so they could play the game, like, they were going to do it. Because if you don't, somebody else is taking your your spot. And then they're going to take your money. Exactly. So, like, I don't know. I, I just I was confused by the whole motive behind Borland's comments. It was odd to me because just the way it transpired, you had a guy that – came into the program, and as he said, worked his way up, got the accolades, got drafted, spent a year, was it only a year, or was it two years? Yes, somewhere know. in there. But they really liked what they saw from mm-hmm. him, and he was getting some good pub as a young linebacker in the league for San Francisco until he all of a sudden says, I'm scared of what this is going to do to my body and what's already happened to my body. I'm ducking out. So you use this opportunity that you have in football to its biggest advantage get some money skate out while you've still got your faculties about you and your body intact and then you just bash everything that got you to that point it just seemed a tad hypocritical 100 percent. i mean and free education i mean he wasn't a first round pick so he didn't make millions he he made some hundred thousands put himself in a good position you know yes So I and, yeah, and then all of a sudden for this to come out of nowhere, I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. And I I would bet you damn sure that a lot of the guys that he played with probably won't talk to him again. What was the at, kid? Uh, at Madison, what anyway. was the kid that uh, was a lineman? 
that kind of did. Oh, Moffat. John Remember, Moffitt. he kind of yep. did the same yes, thing. And, and everybody basically is, they've pretty much shunned him from the program. Yep. Um, you know, and I mean, a guy like Chris Borland, I mean, I think he played on a Big Ten title team. I think he played on a Rose Bowl. He was all conference. He might have, shit, he might have been all American. Um, I, like, you're just going to throw all that away and the opportunity to come back to Madison for certain events. Just for what? Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Nope. It was just very weird to me. Me neither. Um, that leads us to our last football thing I wanted to talk about. Why are football players in general just such stupid people? And I bring this up because of of the shenanigans that went on last week at the national championship game with Odell Beckham and the handing out of money on the sideline and making this big production out of it, knowing full well that it's an illegal thing to do. Um, and then slapping the cop on the ass in the locker room when he's telling guys to put out cigars. And then that leads into Antonio Brown and his an, another Instagram thing with his with his baby mama and his kids and the cops are there and he's yes. swearing at the cops yep. and and then his his agent Drew Rosenhaus drops him and then he goes on there and he's trying to smear Rosenhaus and it's just like why does it seem like this is such a football centric thing of these guys whether it's that kind of shit whether it's DUI drug possession domestics, fights at bars. Like, it just seems to be such a football thing. Like, where's all the baseball players in the news? Right? I mean, there's guys in the news, but it ain't for off-the-field stuff. Right. Like, it seems like in the – I don't know if it's – do they just have way too much time on their hands? Like, because they only play once a week? Right. I, I don't know, but it just seems like every year, as soon as the regular season's over, these guys just lose their shit. <laughs> I don't get it. Because, like, every Super Bowl, it seems like we have a couple of stories of right. guys doing dumb shit. Yep. That it's just like, I you don't got, get it. You I don't get it. two weeks till the big game, and it's going to be the biggest game that you might ever play in your career, and you need to... Well, it's like they're go- it's in Miami this year. Oh. They're going So two teams are going to Miami. Somebody will do something stupid in Miami, and it's like... First of all, why do you have to do something stupid? Like, you can't help yourself. But second of all, it's like, you can go to Miami whenever you want all summer long. Yeah. You're here to play a game. You're here to do a job. Here to go get a ring. I just don't get it. I mean. I wish I had an answer for you. Yeah, it's kind of a rhetorical question, I guess. But And and, and it's what, when, when people mention football and they look at the automatic label is, well, you must not be very smart. Well, and the thing about it is, like, football, more than baseball and basketball, is really to to play it and play it well. You have to be smart because it's a very, everything is a play. It's not like basketball where you can come down and free flow some stuff and and there's no plays in baseball. Everything no. in football is diagrammed X's and you have and to O's. be in the exact yes. spot at the exact time. If that guy does this or he's standing right there, you got a bunch of other things that you need to know might happen. But it's like these guys walk out of the building and they they they're just chuck the playbook in the air and all the pages go and then they just go batshit crazy. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't get it. They get in their car and they're driving 120 miles an hour and they got an unloaded or they got a loaded unsecured handgun on the driver's seat and their buddy in the back's rolling a blunt and it's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, yeah. this shit just doesn't happen in baseball and basketball. Like, the worst thing you see in basketball is like an old retired guy talking shit to Durant on Twitter. Like, that's the worst thing that happens. It's, it's just weird. I don't know. It's very weird. You, know, you bring up a good point, and, I, and I'm glad it's record, rhetorical because I, I, I don't have an answer. Nobody does, because if they did, it would stop, but they haven't stopped it. All right, that is our uh, 44 minutes of NFL talk. So we will uh, blast through <laughs> another two, two pages of stuff that you got. Um, college hoops, we can start in Madison. Uh, good home win over Maryland. You go and you get the snot beat out of you at uh, Michigan State. Um, and now you've got two games uh, this week. They have Nebraska at home on Tuesday, and then they got to go to Purdue, which that's been a really up-and-down team. Yeah, it has. On the road in West Lafayette. So I'm, I'm not going in with any predispositions uh, for the Boilermakers. Um, 
And I, you had brought it up the other day, and I brought that up to Beggs in the morning. I forgot that Nebraska has, uh, what's his deal? Oh, from, Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, Hoiberg. Yeah, yeah, I happened to be watching them play, I think, Ohio State last week. I just flicked it on, and I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot Fred Hoiberg coaches right. his team. How is that not a bigger headline just because it's Nebraska? I guess. And nobody really pays attention to them in Big Ten basketball? I suppose. I mean, it's just Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Basically. Well, and I, Ohio State. I mean, 11 and 7, 4 and 3 in the league. Yep. Um you know, the Maryland game, I watched a good portion of that. I watched most of the second half. Um you, you know, Maryland really kind of crapped that one away. Davidson made a couple of of nice plays yep. at the end of the year which he's kind of There's always like one Brad Davison game every year it seems and I and it, that was kind of the game. Um then, uh, yeah, Friday night, I really didn't watch any. I just kind of took a break from sports Friday. We we had our we didn't have a game. I just needed a night to not <laughs> watch any sure. hoops. I flicked over just to check the score a couple times. But, I mean, Michigan State coming off that throttling they got the previous Sunday, you knew they were going to be pissed off and ready to go. And, unfortunately for Bucky, that was just their beating to take. Um, this team is still really struggling to put the ball in the basket, though. Mm-hmm. Their last three wins, uh, 61, 58, and 56 points is what they've scored. Um, granted, uh, two of those are against were against ranked teams in Penn State and Maryland, but um, re- it's just really hard to continue to win that way in this day and age with the three-pointer and as much as college teams use it. Um, you know, Tuesday, I expect them to take care of business at home against Nebraska. Friday, Purdue's... Of tough place to play, uh, the Badgers have. I don't want to say they've struggled there, but um, they've had their moments. So Purdue has shown they can beat good team, beat the shit out of Michigan State. Right, but then they get beat by some teams that aren't as good. So um, who knows what you're going to get? Five Big Ten teams in the top twenty-five, but none in the top ten. Um, Michigan State, I think, was eleven today. Uh, Badgers were uh, honorable mention in the AP poll. And the most recent bracketology that was out when I did our listing here was from Friday, and it had them as a six seed. That's not bad. I'm sure they'll probably drop a line or so with the loss to Michigan State, but that stuff's kind of fluid. So. All right. Uh, go to Marquette. I texted you the other day when uh, what they were playing Georgetown on the road, and they were yeah. wearing their powder blues. Yeah. Every time you see that and you click it on, there's just something that's like, ooh, those yeah, are cool. Those are money. And, it's, like, it's, and it's, it's not something that I ever get used to. Like, you forget – as a non-Marquette fan, but then you turn them on, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Marquette's got like cool that. uniforms. Yes. They, they got like eight of them. Yeah. So well, <laughs> they got plenty to choose from. They, they pounded Xavier, yeah. and then they— Which is a little surprising, because Xavier's usually usually pretty—they're yep. a little down, but still, I mean, they're a good program. And then they got a win at Georgetown uh, by four, and you had some, some words about Marcus Howard on our recent road trip to Madison Memorial on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, he had 35 in the Xavier game. He had 42 against Georgetown. Um, you know, when he does that, Marquette typically wins. But I, I just, I'm kind of ready for him to move on. Um, you know, he's going to have every record possible at Marquette. Um, but he's probably going to, unless something changes this year, he's going to end with zero tournament wins in four years. And it's just because... It's very similar to the way the Badgers played last year with Hap. They rely on him to do so much, and everything is run through him um, that I think it, it even gets in the kid's head a little bit. I mean, Hap had that thing last year where they throw it in the post and he dribble, 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 and everybody's just standing there. You're not really running anything. Marquette kind of does that with Howard where he gets the ball on the top and he's dribbling between the legs and dinking around and trying to step back, and then he's shooting like a fadeaway contested three, and he makes a lot of them. But I think those are the kind of reasons why Joey Hauser's in Michigan and Sam Hauser is in Virginia right now because I think those guys didn't want to be his personal rebounder. I mean, there was a play in the game Saturday where there was a steal and there was a three-on-one. Howard had the ball, and he goes in and tries to shoot over the tallest guy on Georgetown, and he misses it. Theo John tries to put back dunk. He misses it. Howard gets the rebound. He's standing next to two guys who are wide open, and he takes like a contested 30-footer. And you could tell the guys were kind of standing next to him like, what are you doing? Pass the ball. So, uh, I don't know. He, he's a nice college player, but I, I just think that you've got a definite ceiling playing that way. So, um, they got St. John's at home tomorrow at Butler Friday night, which will probably be a loss. Uh, Butler's a good team. And uh, the last uh, 
Bracketology had Marquette an eight, and they were also honorable mention AP today as well. So, all right, move to the NBA. You got a final on that game. I'm sure it's gone yeah. final since, since we started uh, talking. But the Bucks, they are coming off a win over uh, the Nets. They got the Knicks. They got the Celtics. Still the best record, tops in the East. And what do you got? One eleven to ninety eight. Yep. All right, nice Martin Luther King Jr. afternoon game. And I didn't even know they were taking. Uh, a trip to Paris, which you and I were talking about before we um, sat down to record this, mm-hmm. because Robin Lopez missed the game. Yeah, he um, caught the Packer flu. Yeah, apparently. Um, so he is, as you uh, put it very, very well, you don't want him on a plane with recirculated air with the flu going overseas. Mm-mm. So you keep your ass here. He's staying home, yeah. Yeah, eat, yeah. eat your soup, take your Zycam. No Euro Disney for for Robin Lopez. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thirty nine and six now after today's win. Eight game, eight and a half games clear of Boston yeah. or of Miami. I'm sorry, who's the two seed? Um, so yeah, just uh, they got the game today. Then they're off until Friday when they play Charlotte over in Paris. And uh, kind of cool for the NBA how that worked out. That game was planned a couple of years ago, and then it just turns out you're, you're sending the best player on the best team in the league over to Paris to represent your your uh, your league. So that's that's nice for the NBA. Um, one of the things that's kind of driving me nuts right now with the Bucks is the stupid narratives that I'm hearing about them in the national media, um, whether it's ESPN or I'm listening to some of these podcasts. Um, you got to prove it in the playoffs. Like, I, I don't I, – like, who doesn't everybody? Like, other than LeBron James and, I guess, Curry or Durant who aren't playing and aren't going to make the playoffs. Like, and, may, and Kawhi. Like, everybody else in the league has to prove it. So I don't really – I don't really get that. I don't know really what that means. Like, prove what? Mm-hmm. So, like, you have to win the title, or can he get the, the title and lose? Like, what are we talking about here? The other one was that Giannis was shut down in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Bucks were whipped by Toronto. I mean, that's just flat out not true. Um, he actually was shot a higher percentage than he did during the season in that series. His points were down a little bit. Um, you know, the Bucks are up two to nothing. They go to double overtime in Game Three. Giannis fouls out. They're a basket away from being up three nothing and eventually, essentially having that series over. So um, that that's a little bit of a, a silly narrative. A lot of people like to say that Kawhi shut Giannis down. He did a nice job on him, but that's just not true. Um, and then the last one is that Middleton and Bledsoe and the other guys in the Bucks aren't good enough. Um, I mean, I'm looking around the league, and I'm I'm looking at Middleton and Bledsoe, and I don't see anybody in the East with a second and a third guy that can match up with that. That's what I was going to ask. Is there a better team you with know, the top uh, three as good as that? I don't think so. Certainly not in the East. I mean, you know, is, is LeBron and Anthony Davis or Kawhi and Paul George in a two-on-two game going to beat Giannis and Middleton? Sure, but it's not two-on-two. It's five-on-five, and then you got a bench. And I just think the Bucks team as a whole – right now is proven out that they're the best team in the league. And, yeah, I mean, they knew need to win in the playoffs, but the last couple of years they've taken a step. It went from making it, and then they got to a game seven, and then last year they won two rounds and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. So the history of the league shows that you got to take those steps typically uh, unless you're building a super team, which they're not. Um, you kind of got to take those steps before you get to the championship. So. All right, a couple of other uh, NBA notes that you want to go through. I saw your tweet on Kyrie. I can't wait to see that and an explanation of that. I didn't I didn't read it. I just saw the headline, and I was like, uh, okay. That's kind of going off the deep end a little bit. But we we, yeah. we, we, we can wait. We yeah. can just tease that. Um, go through on some of the other notes. Um, well, we'll save the we'll save the post play thing for later okay. since we're a little short on time here. But uh, Zion Williamson is set to debut this week finally, which is exciting. Um, I think uh, the twenty second was the day, so Wednesday night, I believe, is he's set to debut. Um, interesting. Uh, he was on the JJ Reddick podcast last week, and uh, I was I, I caught a clip of it on YouTube. And obviously him and J.J. both Duke guys, so they've got a little bit of background there. But Zion said in the podcast that he really, really wanted to come back to Duke for his sophomore season. Um, But he basically said that his stepfather and Coach K pretty much, not in so many words, pushed him out the door. Um, 
which I found really interesting and kind of sad. You know, I mean, obviously, I mean, the stepfather part, I mean, I don't know the dynamic there. Right. I mean, he probably sees a lot of dollar signs and doesn't want to jeopardize that, and I get that. Um, you know, the Coach K thing um, is a little interesting, and, and I, I kind of get it where you don't want to, you know, you don't, you'd hate for him to come back and get hurt and have that be, be on, on your you. watch. Yep, that's right. Because um, you, regardless, he would take grief for that. The other thing is, you know, you promised these other incoming freshmen playing time, playing time, yep. and that it was going. They certain guys were going to be the star, and if you got Zion back, Zion is the star. Nobody's talking about anybody else. No. So maybe that was an effect, but it's just kind of sad to me, man. It's like you got a kid who's awesome, who wants to come back and try to win a national championship, which he didn't do his freshman year, and you got everybody telling him to go away. Like, doesn't that kind of suck? Yes. Yes, it does. It's kind of sad, like like you said. Um, yeah, I mean I, mean, I I mean, I don't really have a lot more take than that. It's just it's just kind of sad. It's just, unfortunately, where we are, mm-hmm. especially with basketball, where the people that are surrounding these kids, and I, and I do think that that is an issue that isn't talked about enough with the one-and-done stuff. I think in a lot of situations, it's the people around these kids that are pushing them out the door as much as it is is them dying to leave college. Because I think college basketball, anybody that's played not just basketball, anybody that's played a college sport, that shit is fun. Right. I mean, it's fun. And I can only imagine what it's like at a school like Duke, which is a basketball school, and you're the star of the basketball team. That's got to be just one of the coolest things you could do. Well, and it's really weird the difference in that most of the the guys that probably could have gone to the league without going to college, they don't want to go to college. They're as anxious to get the hell out of there as anybody else, get their pro contract started, start making some money. Then you get this guy who is the best player in college basketball, the most heralded, and he's not anxious to leave. Mm-hmm. He's fine staying around, taking a couple classes, going to pep rallies, being the face of of, of the program for a little bit, soaking up the experience. And everybody is saying, no, you're you're good. Yeah. Go ahead and leave. Like that, there's no other really way to describe it with a word other than, like you had said, sad. It's because you don't hear of that a whole lot. Well, and it's, it's uh, it's like, look at a guy like Ron Dane. Like, if Ron Dane was walking down the street on Times Square or if Ron Dane had an autograph signing in New York City, nobody's going to give a shit. But he has one in Madison. It is a big deal. He's back for a game. It is a big deal. Yep. And you get that you you get that love in college more often than you're going to get it in the pros. You really only get it in the pros if you're a superstar or but if you're are, a lifetime member of a team. Right. But like you you there are guys if Mark Tauscher wasn't a superstar, no. if Mark Tauscher gets announced at a Badger game, he gets a standing ovation. Absolutely. They love him there. Yep. If Aaron Gibson walked out onto the field at a Badger game, people would love that. If he walked out on the field at a Lion game, they'd be like, "Who's that?" No, they'd be like, "I remember that worthless piece of right, shit." Right. Right. Why the hell is he here? Get him out of here. I mean, if Zion doesn't become a megastar in New Orleans or wherever he goes after New Orleans, he can always go back to Duke. And I think that that's, you know, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit lost on some people sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially in the basketball realm. All right. Um, Do you want to go over the Chandler Parsons? If you want to jump to baseball. I, I I just saw Chandler Parsons got. Uh, in a car accident yesterday, coming home from practice, got hit by a drunk driver. You, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, torn labrum for oh, Parsons, um, a knee injury, and some head trauma. I remember he said it could be career. Yeah, yes. Like wow, that's pretty awful. Yes. Um, and then yeah, the Kyrie. I mean, it's nothing new. He he's an idiot. He says stupid things. <laughs> um, he the other day he came out and said that. Um, the Nets need one or two more pieces. It's like, uh, dude, they made the playoffs last year, and they signed you and Durant. You're the one or two more pieces. They didn't sign you, and then have like look around. Who the, who the hell do you need on your team to win? LeBron, because that seems to be the only guy he can win with. And you don't want to be with him. And then today he came out and compared himself to Martin Luther, Luther King. King. So I mean, it just I I don't know. I I, I just there, there's not much else you can say. I mean, obviously, you know, that's a kid that could have spent. 
a little more than three months at Duke because he needed the schooling. All right. Uh, our last uh, topic is Major League Baseball. As we look at the Astros, who they apparently are going to interview Dusty Baker this week. Ooh, toothpick Dusty. Very exciting. Last time he managed was the Nationals in 2017, uh, I believe. But the whole um, sign-stealing thing, as you had put, new stuff seems to be. My favorite now are the memes or the other pictures of like I saw one today of that kid at the Little League World Series the the I hit dinger big al kid mm-hmm. had a red mark circle around his chest cuz there was a bump oh. and somebody said say it ain't so big al right, though right. I mean you're starting to find some of that stuff which is making it corny but I mean on a serious level it's getting a little deeper and, and deeper for this thing yeah they're kind of diving down the rabbit hole here um you know uh, from the things I've seen and heard um, the buzzer thing is a legitimate conspiracy. Um, there are some, there are, you know, some stuff that was going on with Apple watches um, the last couple of years with them. The video of the guy want not wanting, you know, Altuve, don't, don't yep. tear my shirt off, and he covers up his chest yep. in case he's going to wearing something that's going to get exposed. So I, you know. I don't know how I feel about the whole thing. I mean, I, I, obviously, I don't like it because it appears that it helped them win a World Series. Uh, when you look at some of their home and roads, I mean, Altuve was hitting like 480 at home and 110 on the road in the playoffs, something like that. I mean, that's you know, that's a little eye opening. Sure. Um, I don't know. B- baseball, by its nature, is just it is a game of cheaters. I mean, whether you're videotaping. You're corking your bat. You got too much pine tar. You're scuffing a baseball. You got an emery board. You got Vaseline on your on your hat lid. I mean, there's guys in the Hall of Fame like Gaylord Perry who are open, will tell you all day long cheaters. Um, Which is odd to me that that it's classified as a game of cheaters when baseball, to me, seems to prop itself up above all the other sports as a little more righteous. Well, and that's the thing. One of the guys on this Astros team is red-ass catcher Brian McCann, <laughs> who his entire career, and he did it with Gomez when he was on the Brewers. Remember when Gomez hit a homer and mm-hmm. McCann wouldn't let him cross the plate? Yep. He all, He's one of these guys that likes to think he's like a keeper of the game, but yet you're on a team that's cheating? Like, come on. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fall in, I don't buy that shit, but... Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, the The Hall of Fame vote for this class is, I believe, this week. Um, it'll be interesting if any of this kind of stuff changes the minds of voters on on Clemens and Bonds. Um, you know, I, I read a couple of, of current players said today they'd much rather face a guy on steroids than a guy that knew what pitch they were throwing. Um, so Probably I don't know. Probably true. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But last thing we'll hit here um, – I read an interesting story today. Mark Knudsen, who was a pitcher for the Brewers in the mid-80s, okay. um, he has a blog, and he was uh, blogging about some of the stuff going on, and he told an interesting story. Uh, he was on the 87 Brewers, the team that started 13-0, and and uh, they were in a pennant race the whole year, uh, ended up winning 91 games. And he told a story that late in the season, they were playing the California Angels. In that particular day, Don Sutton was pitching for the Angels, and there were some guys still on the Brewers from the 82 team, Gantner, Molitor, Yount, and some others, and they were talking about in the in the clubhouse and in the dugout, it was pretty widely known, it was an open secret that Don Sutton liked to doctor the ball. Um, uh, scuffing was what he typically would do. That was kind of his choice of things. And so he said the game, you know, Molitor let off for the Brewers and he got a hit and then uh, somebody made an out and then Yount came up and hit a, hit a ground ball to short, uh, hit hit it pretty well, but hit a ground ball to short. They tried to turn two and they end up throwing the ball into the dugout. And Knudsen says he goes over and picks the ball up and he says on the ball, about the size of a dime is a, is a scuff. And he said that, after that half of an inning, Yount runs in, and he's laughing, and he said, boy, he goes, I thought I really had that one. He goes, but he threw me a scuffer. There's just nothing I could do about it. And the moral of the story with what Knudsen was saying was, like, nobody was flipping out. It was just kind of, okay, we know he does that. We have to adjust. Right. So it, it's almost like if the cheating is out in the open, it's not as big a deal, but when it's the, it's secretive the way the Astros were doing it, 
that really seems to get baseball guys a lot more bent out of shape. I just kind of found that interesting. It also it kind of reminds me of once you are found out or accused and labeled as a steroid abuser, if you come clean and you say, yes, here's when I did it, here's why I did it, I apologize, whatever, you are forever basically also forgiven. You have that label, yep. but you are not talked bad about and generally, people forget easily more than people that are steadfast deniers. Nobody kills Jason Giambi. Right. Nobody. Nope. Because I did it. Rafael Palmero, I did not. I mean, right. McGuire, Sosa, I mean, all those guys. Those those guys will, Bonds, will forever be until they basically say, yes, I did. Nobody's get. that's going to be the first thing people think about. Well, and then you, and then you're. You're Pete Rose, and you deny, 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 and then at one point you go, yeah, I did it, and then everybody's like, well, you're a fucking liar. You've been denying for 25 years. Like, you can't just come clean now and expect it to be forgiven. No, it does which Don't work that way. No, it doesn't. But that's that, that's a fascinating story. That's, that's, that's very interesting, the dynamic of back then to right now. Very much so. Yeah, it's, it's certainly kind of an old-school mentality, mm-hmm. you know. All right, that is uh, that is our episode of the intentional foul. Just uh, over an hour and five. We appreciate you sticking with us and those that are uh, a hardcore as in radio. We call them P one listeners. Uh, we appreciate that you listen, download, subscribe, uh, tell your friends about our podcast, Maybe and if, we can get some more. And if anybody's got any things they'd like to hear us. You know, get into we're we're gonna we got some time yeah. now that football is coming with, to an end. With football getting over, we're gonna have some some time to fill. So if you want, you know, if you want some some more of a of bucks or you want more college, uh, you know, once the tournament rolls around, we'll get into that a little bit more for college basketball. But you know, if you want to hear more high school stuff, if you, you want us to have a talk to a guest, yeah, you got I mean, guests, we, whatever, we can find people. That's that's even that's even though, even though Goldberg hates it, we can do lists. We can do greatest of all times. I'll make him do it. <laughs> so let us know. We will let us uh, know. Yep, you can follow us online at uh, what is that? A Twitter podcast follow mm-hmm. as well. I'm at uh, Josh Goldberg at Dan Saunders. So one hundred four. It's that simple. Yep. You can find us. Give us some feedback. So some of you probably even have our phone numbers. So right, the shoot text, us, the, shoot us the a old text. text to work. That's fine too. All right, thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing. That'll do it for this week. I'm Josh. I'm Dan. I we will. I we will talk to you next time. Go Bucks.